And um, <clears throat> open your iPad, your device, whatever you're reading from. You can also look at the screen. But we're in Philippians chapter 3, and we're just going to jump in, right? Paul is saying, whatever happens, dear friends, just be glad in the Lord. Now, how many of you know that's so much easier said than done? I don't know if that's your case every day, but, you know, every day I need Jesus. And um, we go through things in life, and with Jesus we can be glad. Amen? But he's saying, just be glad. Don't worry. Be happy. Take everything to God in prayer. And he says, I never get tired of telling you this, what he's getting ready to share with them. He says, it's good for you to hear it again and again. And how many of you know, sometimes we need to hear the word of God preached over and over. The Bible says it's by uh, hearing the word of God that faith comes. So sometimes I know some things can go in one ear and out the other, but we're to meditate on the word. And Paul's saying it's good for you to hear this again. But then what we see him doing here in Philippians chapter 3 is he starts to issue a warning to the Philippian church. And in verse 2 he says, watch out. Everybody say, look out. For those wicked men, dangerous dogs, I call them. Touch your neighbor, say, who let the dogs out? (laughs) Who let the, you know that song, who let the dogs out? He's not talking about man's best friend here. We're not talking about our chocolate lab and our doodles and every type of doodle out there today. He's talking about the dogs that would roam the streets in this era, and they were full of rabies, full of disease, and they spread it everywhere. He said, I want you to look out for these religious busybody. Uh, uh, This text, actually, if you read about it, says called them the Judaizers, who went around declaring that in order to be saved, you have to be 100% Jewish, and you have to be circumcised, or everyone else, you're not included, you're not going to heaven. He says, look out for these men. Look out for these people that are preaching false doctrine. Now, how many of you know, in our lives, we have people, whether they're at our job, or uh, at the gym, or sometimes in our families, that are always the negative nannies. They're going around, sharing false stuff, stirring up trouble, gossiping, causing strife. Some people in life we need to look out for, right? And surround ourselves with people that are going to build us up. Paul says here, look out for these people that are saying you have to be circumcised or you're not saved, right? Steer clear of these people. And look in verse 3, he says, it's not the cutting of our bodies that makes us children of God. It's actually us worshiping him with our spirits. That is the only true circumcision, that we Christians glory in what Christ Jesus has done for us. And we realize we are helpless to save ourselves. And so what Paul's saying is, people, you don't have to alter your body in order to be accepted by God. Now I'm going to preach this today. The Bible says, if you remember, God said in 1 Samuel that it's man that looks on our outward appearance. But it's God that looks at our heart. God is not looking at what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. And so these Judaizers believed that because they were following every command and law in the Old Testament as strict as they could, they had to have an external sacrifice to prove it even further. But Jesus, he looks at what's on the inside, the inward transformation that's happening, not your outward appearance. But see, religion today says that we must do. We must have Christ plus do something in order to achieve salvation. But what the gospel I know, it's not what we must do. It's what's already been done. 
for us. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we don't have to work our way to try to achieve salvation. You see, today we live in a society where we see really strange things, stranger things. I'm not talking about that show you're all addicted to. I'm telling you, I tried to watch it. I couldn't get into it, but I have handfuls of friends who have binge watched the whole new season for hours all day long. But you know, we live in a strange society where all sorts of strange things are being taught, said, every, you know, which way. You see preachers on the street corner. How many see them all over town with signs that say, turn or burn, get right, get left, you know, get in or get out. You're all going to hell. You're all sinners. Now, who are they winning to Jesus? Whose lives are they changing? Okay, so let me say something about this. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have already seen this. Mark and I were on vacation this summer. Thank you for letting us get away for a couple of weeks. We went to Florida, and we really enjoyed our time, but we made our way up to Nashville, Tennessee, so we drove straight through Alabama. And if you've ever been to Alabama, these signs and billboards are all over. I-65. I took this picture. Go to church or the devil will get you. Now, how many of you know if you don't go to church, the devil might get you? How many of you know if you come to church, the devil might get you? It's the truth. There's a, the Bible says it, the devil's like a lion out seeking to destroy us all. But how effective is this? It's not. It's religiosity. It's these people that think if you don't go to church, you're going to go to hell. Well, I want to tell you, you can come to church every Sunday and not go to heaven. You can come to church and not be a Christian. Just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Now, we encourage you to come to church. Why? Because this is where we're edified. This is where we hear the word of God. But it doesn't make you a Christian just coming. But how ridiculous is that? Religion today, I grew up in church and saw churches that said, if you don't show up in your three-piece suit with your shirt pressed and your tie to the neck and your shiny shoes, it you're not a believer. Well, what about our homeless people that come in and they're in tattered clothes and that's all they have and they stink? Do you think Jesus loves them any less? No, he doesn't. He loves us all no matter what we look on the outside, whether you got makeup, no makeup, hair in a bun, man bun, no hair, short hair, purple hair. He loves us all. Tattoos, no tattoos, skinny jeans, poncho, MC Hammer pants. There is no favoritism. There is no partiality in Christ. There is no bias in Christ. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's happening on the inside. It's about who is living inside you and who is changing you, not what you appear like on the outside. I just feel like the heart of God and that he takes such pride in every person he made so perfectly, so uniquely. And what's so sad today is this religious spirit. You even see it showing up in sexism and racism. And I, I last week was with my girlfriend in Green Valley, and we went out to coffee Tuesday morning, I think. And she's an African-American woman. And we were just catching up because we hadn't had coffee together in a while. And she actually told me that last week she was in Walnut Creek shopping at Macy's. And she just had knee surgery. And so she went to get in the elevator um, to go up the floor. And she says, I got in the elevator. And... Me and another young African-American woman with her young children got in. She said, we got in, and then this older white man and white woman walked in, and we were standing there, and he said, well, the whole damn tribe's here. 
You know what? When she told me that, and I know this is something she faces every day and all the time, one of many stories, I was crushed. It hit my heart. I welled up my eyes with tears. I was so hurt. I can't imagine the hurt that she feels. But there's this religious spirit that tries to divide us. It tries to categorize us. Just like these Judaizers thought it was their way or no way that if you weren't like them, then you're not a part. And I know that my Bible says, and my mama taught me when I was a little girl, that red or yellow, black and white, we are all, all of us, precious in his sight. All of us. Doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. It's what's inside. And I think uh, Martin Luther, famous reverend Martin Luther King Jr. said it best. He said, I have a dream that just one day my four little children will be judged not by their outward appearance, but by the content and character of their heart. It's what's inside. It's not what's outside. We're not to judge others by the outside. And Paul got this, and he's, he's saying, look out for these people. And looking at verse 4 through 6, um, quickly I'm going to paraphrase this, but it says, Paul said, yet if anyone has a reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be I. If others could be saved by what they are, I certainly could. And then he goes on to boast all, all about all his accolades and merits and all the things he achieved. He said, I was a purebred Jew. I was totally Hebrew. I came from the best tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. I used to be a Pharisee. I followed every rule to the T. I'm blameless. I'm without fault. I was so zealous that I was preaching other Christians to hell, persecuting them because I thought they weren't right because they weren't following uh, you know, our customs, and I was circumcised on the eighth day, and I did everything right. I never veered off course, so if anybody can boast about everything they've done, it would be me. But then he says, but all these things I once thought were worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away so that I could put my trust and my hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else I've worked my way to accomplish is worthless when compared to knowing Look at this, the priceless gain of knowing Christ. I put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing. The Bible says he actually calls it rubbish, garbage, actually manure and dung. All these rules and customs and things he did to try to achieve and work and perform for his security and salvation in Christ. He says, I don't need all that. I just need to know him. That's all I need. I want to let you know today, your net worth is not going to save you. Your education, although we thank God for it, and I praise you all who work hard and has achieved your PhDs and masters, that's not going to save you, and thank God because I don't have one. Those are great things, but that's not going to save you. It doesn't matter if you went to Stanford, MIT, or you never graduated high school. God looks at you just the same. He loves you just as much. He doesn't favor you one over the other. It doesn't matter if you went to theology school. You can quote every scripture forward and backwards and a whole chapter at once. Or if you're a brand new Christian and you're just learning, he loves you just the same. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the hood or if you grew up in the Hamptons, in Jesus' eyes, you're just the same. It's the truth, guys. There is no partiality. There is no 
favoritism in Christ. And so Paul recognized, he said, at one time I put all my trust, all my chips in that this is what was going to save me. But I realize now that's not the truth. We've heard the story that he was on the road to Damascus and he was awakened and he came to himself and realized it's not about all these things that I'm working to achieve salvation. It's about relationship with Christ. And so if you're taking notes today, I want you to write down, it is, it is possible to know about God, but to not know him personally. So Christ came to realize it's not about being religious. It's about a relationship. And I myself can testify that um, you can know all about God but not know him personally. I grew up in church uh, in a Christian home. My mom was the piano player. And so we were there every Sunday, never missed from as long as I can remember. I've been in church my whole life. And I thank God for that. But I also know I sat in church my whole young adulthood, middle school and high school. I, I knew all the Bible stories but I had no relationship with Jesus. I didn't talk to him. I wasn't listening to him to talk to me. I could tell you all this. I had head knowledge, but no close, personal, intimate knowledge with Christ. And that's what he's calling for us to do, is to come into a personal relationship with him. Reverend Billy Graham, evangelist, said, You can have religion, but not know Christ. It's having Christ that counts. So like I said, you can come to church and not be a Christian. Charles Spurgeon said, I may know all the doctrines of the Bible, but unless I know Christ, there's not one of them that can save me. Jesus himself even said in the book, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, he's talking to his disciples and he says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. For many will say to me on that last day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name for you? We healed the sick for you. We did this for you. And he says to them, I never knew you. So it's not about going through the motions and coming to church every Sunday. And you can give every Sunday. And you can fast every week. And you can pray every week and read your Bible. And those are great things. We need to do those things. But those things and going through the motions is not enough, and they don't automatically equate to a deepening, maturing, flourishing relationship with him. He wants us to know him. Just like you know maybe your spouse or someone close to you in your life, that knowing is an Old Testament word, yada. It means this close friendship. It's not head knowledge, but it's a friendship. And so what Paul is alluding here in this passage is there's more than life than just religion. It's about relationship. And I hate that term, religion. I just don't like hearing it anymore because so many times it carries this negative connotation, right? Um, a lot of the world equates it to just like all the do's and don'ts in order to go to heaven, religion. And so sometimes... I'm often a little hesitant when I'm around people, like at the gym, and, you know, they don't know I'm a pastor, and they're just dropping F-bombs and just acting wild and crazy and loud, and, and then something will come up where they ask me what I do, and I'll tell them I'm a pastor, and then immediately they're like, <laughs> like, go away, and I'm like, hey, I'm cool, like, we all mess up sometimes, 
And I'll be like, they're like, well, I'm not religious. And I say, neither am I. I'm not religious. And they're like, they don't get that. They don't understand the difference in religion and relationship. Um, Our boys played baseball this spring, and we had this end-of-year pool party at one of the coaches' house, and none of the team members that we're aware of or coaches go to church and or you know in relationship with Christ and I think they're kind of like trying to figure Mark and I out and always like looking at us funny and like what are you guys really about you know you seem like us you seem like me but something different and uh, we were at this pool party and we walked into the house and all the kids are having fun swimming and we walked in and you know they've got some beer and wine and drinks and a bunch of food out and so I go over to get just pour a glass of wine and the coach looks at me and he's like are you going to bless that before you drink it? Like kind of quiz quizzingly, like, do you bless that? Do you have to bless that first? And I was like, actually, I just drink it and it gets blessed because I'm blessed. Hey, they didn't get it. But see, there's this misconception about becoming a Christian or having a relationship with Christ where I have to, like, there's this idea the world thinks I have to work hard to please God. They think he's like sitting up in heaven and like just waiting and watching to like cast lightning bolts down on you and punish you. And that's not our loving father. And we see it Paul, um, before he really got set free, he had this idea of self-righteousness where he had, he could work his way to achieve approval from God. And I think others of us really walk in like self-pity, like I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I can't be in relationship. When That's completely false. Jesus accepts us how we are. Now, yes, we want to strive to not stay infants in Christ forever. We want to become like him. We want to uh, have a life that counters and brings him glory, accounts that brings him glory. But we're not to live in self-pity. But we don't have to believe this fixation that we have to do things to perform to get God's approval. He loves us as we are. And religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. And Jesus is about what's on the inside. Verses 8 and 9, Paul says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to really the priceless gain of knowing Christ. I have put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing, in order that I can have Christ and become one with him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting that Christ to save me. This is God's way of making us right with him depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. So I love the first part of this. Christ, or Paul says, put all else aside. I'm going to put it all aside in order to know Christ. And I want you to think about today, what do you need to put aside? Maybe it is a mentality, but what do you need to set aside to really know Christ in a deeper way? How can we, deeply flawed human beings, really be justified in the eyes of God? Is it something we have to continually work for and strive for and just hope that someday we get there? We see, if you're reading with us the Bible in a year, um, it was really funny. I kind of love how it works out sometimes when I'm getting ready to speak on something and then it pops up like in our daily Bible reading. It's like a confirmation to my spirit. But in the um, Bible in a year... Paul actually referenced also in the book of Romans about trying to achieve salvation through works. And in Romans 3 through 9, I'm going to skip down. It says, there is no one who always does what is right. No one. Not even one of us. 
Therefore, no one will be declared righteous by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we actually become conscious of our sin. And so we know in the book of Genesis, when it references our father Abraham, it says that it wasn't by his works that he was accredited righteousness. It was he believed in the Lord. He put his faith and his trust in God. And that is how he earned his righteousness. He didn't earn it. It was just a free gift that needed to be received. And then we look further in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It, uh, it says, was it because of Abraham's good deeds that God accepted him? If so, then he would have something to boast about. But didn't he earn his right to heaven by all the good things he did? No. For being saved is a gift. If a person could earn it by being good, then it wouldn't be free. But it is. It has been given to those who do not work for it. For God declares sinners to be good in his sight if they have faith in Christ to save them. So you can't earn your salvation by performing. This idea of self-righteousness to appease God is actually false righteousness. We are not righteous because what we do, we are righteous because of what he's done for us. And our righteousness comes from God, not ourselves. And ultimately, like I said, the purpose, what Paul explains in the gospel of the law, is to help us realize that we need help, that we need a Savior. If you think about the law and the Ten Commandments, how many of you have ever lied? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. You're lying. (laughs) How many of us have ever lusted? How many of us have ever wanted what someone else has? Coveting. How many of us have ever missed and say, check, 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 I've done it all, I'm good. No, we look at that and we're like, oh crap. I'm bad, God is good, I need help, I need a savior. The Bible says anyone who puts their faith in Christ will receive the righteousness of God and they'll be totally forgiven. Anyone. Anyone. Imperfect me, imperfect you, all of us who failed. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he saved us. But all we got to do is receive him and receive his righteousness. Verses 10 and 11, and I'll wrap it up. And this is uh, maybe on the screen, not in your notes. Paul says, now I've given up everything else. I found it to be the only way to really know Christ. I mean, we could just preach that in a whole message by itself. And to experience his mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. He says, so whatever it takes, I'll be the one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. Paul knew he could not reconcile himself to God. Paul knew this by any of his achievements, all the great things and all, you know, as spotless as he was, he knew that his works would not equal salvation. And I think many of us need to stop trying, stop striving, stop trying to impress God. He's already impressed by you. He is, it was funny because I got in the car this morning um, to go to Green Valley and 
I just like ran out to start the car so it would be warming up and ran back inside to get something. And when I came out, my, my radio was turned up like really loud. I must have been jamming before I turned my car off before. And as soon as I got in the car, you know what song was on? It was, I can't help falling in love with you. You know, I can't help falling in love with you. And as soon as I heard it, it was so loud. I just felt like God was saying that to me. Like, I can't help but falling in love with you. And that's how he feels about you. Every day, he, he can't wait to be with you. And he just loves you. He loves you so much more than you love yourself. We need to just receive his love. We need to experience his power, like Paul says, that's available every day. His power that helps us to overcome. His power that helps us to break free from false mindsets. His power. Paul says he wanted to find out what it meant and what it truly means to lay it all down. Everything that we have that we think is great in life, to lay it all down just to have more of him. And in closing, I want you to know you can never equate your external actions or religious experiences to an intimate relationship with him. Everything that Paul could have possibly had, he did. But he realized in order to achieve salvation and righteousness, he just had to receive it. Even Jesus himself, if you remember, before Jesus had done anything, before he'd performed any miracles, before he'd helped or healed anyone, when he was being baptized, God the Father looked down and said, I'm so well pleased. This is my son. I'm so well pleased. You don't have to do anything to please God. Now, eventually, you come to a place where because you recognize how good he is, you want to please him. But you can't work your way to heaven. Paul urges us to forget what's behind and press on to what is ahead. Strive to make God number one in your life. Number one priority. Be willing to give up everything in order to gain Christ. Now, I know we try to gain a lot in life. We try to gain money, status, likes. But the greatest gain and the thing that counts most is gaining Christ. Everything that we gain that is not Christ is meaningless apart from him. Charles Spurgeon said, you'll never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything but Christ. Some days I think that I wake up and I'm like, I don't know how people do it without Christ. I need him every day, more and more. And life, folks, is empty.